You're listening to Transplaner RPG, an all-transgender, people-of-color-led, dark-fantasy actual play channel set in an original non-colonial, anti-orientalist multiverse. The Chaos Protocol is our second main campaign and stars Valiant Dorian, Kai Kay, and Sam Starr as players, with C. Thomas as the producer and Connie Chong as the game master. Transplaner RPG is sponsored by Explain Trade, a negotiation skills training consultancy whose director, Dimitri Opines, has asked us to say, and I quote, Please sign up for Transplaner's Patreon, because at some point people will figure out he's a cisgender white guy failing upward, and then he'll be too broke to sponsor us. We love you, Dimitri, and thank you so much for supporting our work. This episode is also brought to you by Die Hard Dice. If you're looking to add some gorgeous dice to your collection, check out Die Hard Dice. They have iconic metal dice, enchanting polymer dice, plus velvet dice trays, portable scrolls, and dice bags. Die Hard Dice is on a mission to be the shopkeep every hero looks forward to seeing, providing premium products that bring infectious delight to every table. They are driven by their customers' stories of adventure and daring, and they are so passionate about making dice and accessories that will help you elevate your gaming experience and keep telling stories in your own unique way. Use the code TRANSPLANER at checkout for 10% off any purchase at DieHardDice.com. Content warnings for this episode may include fantasy violence, romance, complex and complicated relationships, trauma, apocalypse, descriptions of food, and references to environmental collapse. Arc 1, Episode 3. The Storm Calls Out. From Self-Eulogy of a Martyr, by Connie Chong. Wuyin was having a good day. Scratch that. Wuyin was having a great day. To be fair, every day for Wuyin is a great day, even days where the syndicate reigns or strike teams argue or Lucy sets up way too many meetings before first lunch. For Wuyin, every day above ground is a great day. And even some days below ground, like that time he took the Twilight Guard to plane B2B39228, the Necrocrypt. That was a fun day. That was a great day. Though Wu Yin doesn't know what's coming yet, the day that fate makes her announcement also begins as a great day. He spends the morning, morning being relative of course, praying in the Hall of Heroes, mourning all those lost in their worthy fight against oblivion. Next, he happily tackles the list of events he needs to organize before the end of the month, month being relative as well of course. There are birthday parties, retirement parties, new hire parties, even engagement parties. To be honest, much of Wuyin's job is party planning, but he loves it very much. And when he's done with said party planning, it is early afternoon and he heads to his favorite arena to train with his Guandao Xiaoyu. Ta spins the pole across Ta to back, sweeps it in a scything crescent, bumps it onto Ta to knees, spins, jumps, and kicks the blunt end across the arena where the blade sticks into a padded wall. Wuyin recalls the blade with a big grin, and he decides to call this maneuver the crouching twice-born mantis. No, 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 the diving midnight crane. No, no, that's not quite right. Ooh, the lurking puma amid winter's first snow. Yeah, yeah, that's got a good ring to it. Ta pops open the scroll at Tada waist and scribbles down Tada ideas, and then he hits the showers. As a hand of fate, Wu Yin technically has private chambers, but he prefers communal baths. It's a bonding thing for him. He thinks it prudent to show the people of trans that he's just like them. Well, not literally, of course, he's not mortal, but spiritually, socially. Bathed in steam, Wu Yin stands before a mirror. Ta regards Tada's own reflection, his handsome visage, his muscles, his wet black hair. He points a finger at himself and says very seriously, You are beautiful. You are strong. Fate chose you for a reason, and you will uphold her will. <clears throat> he nods at himself firmly. 
And then Wu Yun sees someone in the mirror standing behind him at the threshold of the baths. Artemis is fully clothed, hands behind their back, a grim expression on their face. But that's not necessarily strange for Artemis, so William doesn't think too much of it. Instead, he smiles wide, turns around on his heel, and props his hands on his hips. And Artemis! To what do I owe the pleasure? Artemis's response changes William's day from great to just good. Lucy was having a fine day. Fine days are common for the patron saint of monsters, days that aren't too warm or too cold, days that are the living embodiment of a lukewarm shower. Lucy wakes from a tangle of silk sheets and pillows. She doesn't have to sleep, but she does it anyway, because it feels good. They pull themselves out of bed with a great big cat-like yawn. Huh. And then they sit down in front of their silver-plated, dozen-foot-wide vanity mirror and begin their usual 10-step skincare routine. Two types of cleanser, exfoliator, toner, essence, treatments, a sheet mask made from the tears of a god, eye cream, moisturizer, and sunscreen. Lucy doesn't have to do this routine either. She looks gorgeous and striking in all her myriad forms, but she does it anyway, because it feels good. The rest of their morning is spent in back-to-back -back meetings with various department heads. Arush from Therapeutics and Recovery wants more game nights. Sven from Mentorship and Training is dealing with a rowdy new recruit class. Colt from Mortal Resources has a new retirement dossier that requires managerial approval, but what else is new? Lucy, however, doesn't mind these meetings. In fact, they quite enjoy them. There is something so rewarding about solving problems, about keeping the gears of trans turning, and of course about watching mortals squirm just a little bit as she mulls over their requests. Lucy spends the afternoon in their office with a sampler plate of small eats from across the multiverse. Spores, candied teeth, liquid light, deep-fried memories, a Toblerone bar. She doesn't have to eat, but she does it anyway, because it feels good. While eating, Lucy studies their vision board, upcoming renovations, promotions, retirements, and various high-level plans for the Syndicate's future. Just as Lucy starts to stand up, there is a brief, familiar knock at the door. The patron saint of monsters quirks an eyebrow. Artemis. You know you don't have to knock when it's just us. The door opens, and we see Artemis flanked by Wuyin. And Lucy's eyebrows raise and their face falls immediately. And Artemis's next sentence, something about a talking sword, changes Lucy's day from fine to horrible. 47 hours after Fate's announcement. The first May Day mission is announced to the Syndicate. The acting strike team is, of course, the Twilight Guard, as the top-ranked squadron in all of trans. There is a brief ceremony in Concourse B to see them off, this vanguard of the Syndicate, this tip of the spear into the mayhem of Fate's new protocol. Hundreds of trans agents gather in the plaza. The hands of Fate stand at the back of the main stage as the four members of the Twilight Guard step up to a ceremonial dais. We see them now, garbed in black and gold and white. There is Rishi, a short, fat person with dark, tan skin, brightly colored lipstick, and an elegant, well-manicured beard. They are charming, draped in elegant robes, and are widely regarded as the Syndicate's heartthrob, as befits a former member of the Revelry, the second most highly ranked team at Trans that works under Lucy. In fact, we see a throng of weeping and sobbing fans at the front of the crowd, waving handkerchiefs in Rishi's direction. And we see Rishi wink and blow them a kiss, causing one of the fans to quite literally faint into the arms of another. The next Twilight Guard we see is Sojin, a thin person with light green skin. 
Two tusks protrude from his lower lip, and a mop of curly black hair sprouts from his head. Sojin uses a wheelchair made of thrumming electricity and vibrant copper wire. Their reputation as the bad boy of the Twilight Guard precedes them, and their form crackles with sheer power, as Sojin is one of the most adept elemental mages in the history of the Syndicate. Flanking Sojin is the up-and-coming leader of the Twilight Guard, Hanifa. Hanifa is a strong, broad-shouldered woman who carries a great sword easily in one hand. They have warm brown skin, striking brown eyes, and they wear a white silk hijab. She smiles at the audience easily and steadily, taking a moment with her wife and daughter before stepping up to the dais, dispersing the nerves in Concourse B with her sheer grounding presence. And finally, we see Nemosini, an older black woman in her mid-sixties with dark brown skin and a completely shaved head. She wears many scars with great pride and dons practical leather armor with a white fur-lined cape, intricate golden makeup dotting her face. Mnemosyne is a former member of the Wild Hunt, the third most highly ranked team at Trans that operates under Artemis. For over three decades, Mnemosyne has served as the leader of the Twilight Guard, but is now stepping back from these duties in recent years to yield the reins to Hanifa. And we watch now as Hanifa, Mnemosyne, Sojun, and Rishi step up onto the dais, waving at the crown beneath them. And Wuyin steps forward, unsheaths his guandao, and slams the blunt end of his staff, BAM, against the floor. And at that, Jade light explodes upward from the runes of the dais, and the Twilight Guard vanishes. As Concourse B erupts into cheers, we hold on Artemis's face. And when we slowly pan back, we see Artemis in their office. Artemis is... well, Artemis is having a day. Ten days have passed since Fate's announcement, and her table is crowded with paperwork. Holograms and scrolls, scraps of paper, stone tablets, even crystallized soundscapes floating above their head in an aurora borealis of red tape. Unlike Wuyin, whose main job is party planning, and Lucy, whose main job is bossing other people around, Artemis's main job is filling out forms. And Fate's announcement is nothing if not form-heavy. Artemis's office is dark, tasteful, and understated. There is a low wooden ceiling and walls painted the color of dark, glittering moss that press close around the room like an animal's den. A breeze from the open balcony door rustles the pages of some of the books on her desk, and beyond that balcony is a tall glass of night sky, stars winking down like shimmering gems. A viewing bay shows much of the same, a cosmic swirl of eventide horizon. Artemis's furniture is wooden, naturalistic, handmade. And as this patron saint of mortals fills out yet another disclosure form for this strike team or that, she hears a familiar, bubbly voice beyond her closed door, and Artemis glances at the clock mounted above a stone bust of fate herself, a gift from Wuyin she could not refuse. It is 2pm exactly, local time, and strike team Nova has arrived for their mission brief. Artemis waves a hand, all of the paperwork vanishes, she stands, goes to the door, and opens it. Is that so, Agent Singh? <clears throat> At least you're ready for your mission debriefs, I assume? Because this is a big one. You've been assigned to mission 021648, the Wild Sea. But before we get into all of that, Zainan, can I see you in my office, please? Of course. And the rest of you, 
If I come back out here to find that Strike Team Phoenix has received any of the following bruises, cuts, bumps, magical ailments, curses, blessings, or any other array of affliction, and Artemis looks over the three of you very carefully, you will drop from rank 42 to 52. Do I make myself clear? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. sir. Yes, sir. Good. Zynon? Right behind you. And Artemis leads you back into her office. Zynon takes a long look at the other three before following. Artemis's office is dim, quiet, as it always is. And there's an array of seats for you to take. She goes behind her desk, her fingers kind of brushing over this beautiful oak. Before she pauses and looks out the window for a few moments before turning back to you. Zynon doesn't sit. He just walks in and stands, his hands falling underneath his many layers of fabric. Don't worry, Agent, you're not in for an assessment. Not a reassignment either? No, not a reassignment either. We had a big announcement the other day. I assume you've been spending lots of time at LSSG? Just enough. I don't have to be worried about a resignation letter from you, do I? Arush has been wanting you as his successor for some time now. Lucy's been on my ass about it. I'm not going anywhere. Good. Because I'm trusting you, Zynan. You have nearly a decade of experience as an agent. It's a long time to be in the field. Feels like uh, none at all, but, you know, I'm doing what I think is what kept me here. Good. Because they need you. All of them do, but especially Sing. I asked you to look after her for a reason. Fate only knows that she'll be a nervous wreck after that announcement. Don't let her burn out. Of course not. Understand? She's, uh... She's growing on me. And this soft little smile comes over Artemis's face like a ghost passing through a wood. <laughs> Good. Trust your gut, agent. It's gotten you out of worse than whatever you're going to find down there. These, uh... Mayday missions. Are we saving these worlds? Are we really doing that? That's the idea, Agent. <laughs> Lucy's job with uh, LSSG. Load's about to get a lot lighter if that's what we're doing. One can only hope. The entire multiverse just got restructured. And then Artemis fixes you with an intensity. A deep intensity. Truly, everything about her is intense. Looking at her, trying to peer deeper into their psyches, like stepping into a puddle and finding an ocean, there is intensity to Artemis. But this is focused. It's directed at you, and you can see glittering in those eyes that don't seem like they should belong to them. Those gold eyes is a memory. Zynan. A memory full of dust and dying light. Artemis crosses her arms. How are you holding up with the news? Zynan stops for just a moment. He had been unconsciously just kind of running his fingers through the fabric of his shawl. But he catches the glimmer in Artemis's eyes and it almost hurts like being turned inside out very suddenly through a very small funnel. But when they speak, he listens, he can hear. He's always been able to hear her voice through almost any darkness. I'm here. That's enough for now, right? You tell me. Will it be enough? I've got fate's chosen one next to me. That's enough, right? Something about that intensity closes off. Something about those shining eyes shift. And wherever Artemis has gone, she's left you behind now. She crosses her arms, 
open the door, Zainan. And please let Lumira know that I'd like to see her as well. Thank you for your time and take care of yourself, Agent. Zainan pauses. Usually the moment Artemis tells him to do something, he jumps to do it. Uh, but something about the slamming of the door where he thought there was a little crack kind of stills him for a minute before he just nods, turns, opens the door. And before he even says Lumira's name, he makes sure that it's shut, leaving Artemis alone for just a second. Lumira, you're up. All right. Um, you got this. You're right. And Lumira will stand, uh, brush herself off, and intently walk into the room, closing the door behind her. You wanted to see me? Yes. Yes, Agent Lumira. And Artemis shifts back in her seat, crosses her arms, looks at you with what seems to be an approximation of a joke. Glad it has only taken the entire upheaval of the Syndicate and a small multiversal restructuring to get you to a briefing on time. With all due respect, Artemis, I'm trying. You know how my mind can go sometimes. I do. I do know how it can go. She just kind of looks down at that. Things were tense when I went out there. Are you not on speaking terms with your former strike team? And the way that Artemis asks it, you know that it's a <laughs> play at a question. She knows the answer, but she asks it as a convenience. Lumira straightens her posture and tries to mimic that same stature that Artemis is giving right now. Well, you know, never mix business with pleasure. At that, Artemis's eyebrow raises a little bit. She wasn't exactly expecting you to say that. I'm nothing but honest. Hmm. And then Artemis's face does something very, very strange. What is that look? What is that emotion that comes over her face? It takes you a moment to realize that it's gentle. It's tender. It's soft. She uncrosses her arms and puts both of her hands on top of her desk, leaning toward you. And what have you learned from that saying, Lumira? I learned what to do and what not to do in the future. Hmm. I see. And do you blame yourself? And at that question, Lumira's posture loosens. And she gets lost in her eyes for a second. Permission to speak freely. You know you always have it here. Speak. Every day. It's not sitting with me well. We'll say that. Artemis holds the words carefully. Like they're a bird's egg. Like they're the most breakable thing in the whole world. But you can tell she holds them. Everyone makes mistakes. Lumira. That's what makes you mortal. And she says the word with such gentleness, mortal. If you were infallible, you'd be standing alongside fate as a precept. But you're not. That's not where you stand. You stand with Strike Team Nova. You stand alongside Zainan, alongside Seir, alongside Sing. And her voice hitches over the word, watching your face. Lumira is uh, still kind of loosened in her body language, still standing up straight, but you know her. Her eyes do light up. Lucy praises her strike teams for their flair, their glamour, their elegance. But when you only know diamonds and gold, you forget your weapons. Iron. Steel. Wood. Bone. What are you made of, Lumira? Because I think you're made of stuff stronger than just gold. 
Are you the healer who failed? Or are you the agent who chose her own path? What are you made of? She kind of steps back at that for a second, mulling over the words. And uh, she steps closer and rolls her shoulders back, makes direct eye contact with you. The bones that I have that were broken are made over of steel now. Good. Good. And then that gentleness closes off like a shadow passing over the moon. Another phase, another time, another moment. Artemis leans back in her chair. And I think the two of them had just kind of grown very close together, like magnets pulled. And Artemis leans away, looks up and down. Will you please send Sayer in? Just Sayer. Of course. And Lumira will sharply turn. And as she kind of closes the door to once again give you a moment, you see that her hand was like shaking a bit and was attached on her pocket watch. Sayer, your turn. Something in Sayer's chest sinks and plummets. And he he's now clothed in his actual trans uniform, removing the charred garb that he was in before. And he gets up and smiles at Lumira and says, Thanks. Told you you got this. And Lumira steps in, places her arm, just hand gently on your arm as you walk by. You got this too. And squeezes it and goes sit down. Color brushes against his cheeks and then quickly shuffles into the room and shuts the door quietly, just like how Artemis would prefer it be shut. Artemis lets you simmer in silence. When you come in, she seems to have gotten up from her desk and is currently standing at her balcony, leaning against the doorframe, looking out into that night sky, that endless dark forest. She doesn't say anything. She doesn't even look at you when you come in. She's testing you. She's always testing you. But whatever scoreboard exists in her mind is not the one that hangs above Concourse B. No, and you've never known exactly where you stood on it. But you know what she's doing. And she lets you hang there in the silence. 17.90 seconds. Not bad. Sir, I completed that just earlier today, sir. As per your instructions. I know. And Artemis turns to look at you. Just with her head. The rest of her still halfway out into that darkness. What changed? You've been working on 47B for weeks now and haven't come close to reaching your goal. Why today? Sayer kind of walks past these tables and chairs and leans on one perhaps two places away from where Artemis leans against the balcony and just leans on it, hip against the table. I focused on a directionless arrow like before. I just focused. That isn't entirely true. He says that as if trying to placate some other thing deeper within him, like a poorly placed band-aid on a gaping wound. And when Artemis turns to face you, Sayer, you know this is one of those times. One of those rare, special moments where Artemis turns all of her attention, 100% of it, onto you. Away from paperwork, away from Sing, away from the strike teams, away from the syndicate, entirely onto you. And she looks at you with the courage of a woman who has hunted gods far more terrifying than you. And the air shifts. Is that so, Sayer? What were you focused on, exactly? You said your era was trained on something, what was it? What are you hunting? You must chase, or else patience and violence are wasted. Both of them. 
If you are not chasing, you're just running. If you're not hunting, you are being hunted. There bites a slip. Biting back a response. A more natural one. And he says, How do you know the difference between hunting and finding excuses? Because a hunter would take my assignment for 47B and throw it in the trash. Sayer, it's not enough to just chase Singh. She hasn't touched Circuit 47B in weeks, nor has any team ranked over 30. What of Circuit 1A? 15B. There's a flash of something across Sayer's eyes before he just looks away. No, look at me. You cannot just hunt your own shadow, Sayer. Your team needs you. Your sister needs you. She's not likely to admit it, but she does. So I need to know, are you a part of Strike Team Nova? A real part of Strike Team Nova? Or are you just a man who can run circuits? I am what you have trained me to be. A forged arrow. A shield. A bulwark. I am my sister's brother. I am the son of fate. Nothing will harm my strike team. Not for as long as I draw breath. And Artemis pushes off of the doorframe, comes up to you, and as she passes, claps a hand on your shoulder and looks down at you. Good. Prove me right, Sayer. Sayer looks at Artemis like an arrow that has been chosen and nods very seriously. Send in your sister for me, please. Yes, sir. Turns around, regroups himself, and walks out the door, peeking his head out of the door as he shuts it, giving Artemis just enough time to reset. All right, Sing, it's your turn. You're up. <sighs> About time? Yeah. A Sing springs up from her seat, kind of like rolls her shoulders back. She's kind of like bouncing on the balls of her feet and she affects this very confident kind of jolly demeanor, but all of you can sense the nerves. It's just bubbling just underneath the surface of Sing's confidence. She kind of wrings her hands together, gives you a nod, Lumira, gives you a nod, Zainan, gives you a big nod, uh, Sayer, and says, well, here we go. Let's hope it's just compliments, right? Because, you know, I have a very fragile ego. Ruffles your mane and goes, go get him, chosen one. Oh, you stop that, but I will, and I shall. <laughs> All right, Sir Artemis, and Sing opens up the door and steps in and closes it behind her. None of you see or hear anything of the meeting between Artemis and Sing. It takes a couple of minutes, seven maybe, ten at most, but when the door opens and Sing comes back out, there is a troubled look on her face for just a fraction of a second. A dark look, a cutting look, like a piece of shrapnel lodged in the soft curves of her visage. This is an expression none of you have ever seen before on her face, ever. Even you, Sayer, in all your years of growing up next to her. There is a fragment of something frantic, but... Still, very, very still, like snow in a forest that has never known blood. And then Sing smiles, and her usual chipper look returns. Well, I guess I'm joining the chewed out club here, huh? Lamira steps up and glides over towards Sing. You okay? Yeah, yeah, I'm fine. Well, you know how Han Artemis can be, like, really intense and serious, like she's looking into the deepest reaches of your soul. Yeah, that sort of thing. It was just kind of, an, it was just kind of intense, you know? Uh, but, but I'm fine. Lumera quirks her head to the side, an eyebrow clearly skeptical. Don't bullshit me, Sing. Not me. Uh, and Sing's expression hiccups. And there's something in her eyes, a glimmering kind of starlight, maybe, that wants to reach out to you. 
She breathes in and then says, oh, Okay, fine. It's just, Artemis told me to be a little less facetious about my new status, you know, now that I have my destiny and all, and to be a little bit more responsible and considerate of other people's feelings, which I know I haven't been these past 10 days, including Sayer. Sayer, I just, look, I'm sorry for blowing you off earlier, okay? And I should have stood up more against Cirque and Phoenix when they came down the hallway, and I'm, I'm sorry I've been ignoring you these past almost two weeks, okay? I'm, I, I really am. Sayer steps towards Sing, wraps his large arm around Sing's shoulder and goes, we're siblings. When have I ever asked that of you? And plants a kiss on Sing's forehead and says, sorry I got chewed out. You know how Artemis is. Team camaraderie and everything. Yeah. Yeah, she's just looking out for us. You know what's funny? This reminds me a lot of when we were like nine. (laughs) All three of us sitting outside of Artemis's office. Oh, yeah. If I remember correctly, it was because a certain someone mm. wanted to bring a dog in and wanted to hide it from Artemis. What? It was cute. It had three heads. How could she say no? You don't have to be nine to get chewed out by Artemis. Uh. Oh, here, here. And if I remember correctly, it was actually a Cerberus. Uh, okay, well... That it was... Are you all ready for your mission brief? Yes, sir, we are. Get on in there. Lumira kind of shuffles in. (laughs) Zynan slips the letter that he was just worrying over on his hand back into the folds of his coat as he enters. Zynan, were you reading this letter while you had a moment of privacy outside by yourself? Yeah, well, while everyone was kind of fussing and talking and all that other stuff, Zynan came out very gloomy Mm. and I think sat a little bit a ways away and opened the letter. Mm -hmm. Okay, so Zynan, this letter is in a beautiful envelope, like an academics envelope, nice thick heavy parchment paper with a wax seal on it, right? And the seal itself has like an arcane sigil that you're very familiar with. When you broke the seal and opened up the letter itself, uh, the weight of the paper of the letter was also gorgeous and, and hefty and it just feels silky, fine and expensive. But the letter itself is brief in an expensive, rich, dark blue ink and a looping kind of cursive script you read. Zynan, we need to talk before your first mission with Nova. It's not about us, okay? So just, just come by. It's about Lumira. I saw the reassignment and I just need to talk to you in person. It's important, Zai. Don't blow this off. Please. Naeem. As you know, it's been four missions since you first received this letter. And I think he came back just as Lumira left Artemis's office and hid it all under his hat, but has just been holding the letter and stealing the occasional glance over and thinking about their interaction in the hallway not very long before. But it's all gotta wait because we are entering Artemis's office. Mm-hmm. Yep. Zainan, I think maybe you're one of the last to go in. Like, Lumiere leads the way, Sayer goes in, Sing, you. And I think there's a moment as you're sort of, like, maybe adjusting the brim of your hat, you look up and you and Sing catch each other's eyes before you cross the threshold. And the kind of, like, easy smile that Sing had while Sayer was ruffling her head and giving her a kiss is gone. And that shrapnel-like expression is back. And something tugs at you, Zynan, the person that had been charged by Artemis to look over Sing, Zynan, the person with the most experience on this strike team, something tugs at you, and you know that whatever is troubling or was troubling Sing, she still hasn't come clean about. But it's too late to address it now as the four of you step fully into Artemis's office and in front of your strike team leader. Come along, Sprout. Let's have a seat right here. And Sing sits. Strike team Nova. 
And Artemis conducts herself with the air of somebody who did not just have four back-to-back -back conversations with each of you. Like, this is the first time she's addressed you all day. And she's, like, immediately moving around her office, preparing the teleportation sigil. She's pulling a few things, like, up and off her desk, where she just passes her fingers over the wood. And as they come up and off, whatever she wants is in her hand, literally. And she pulls a few different documentations, forms, holographic screens that come floating up beside her as she begins to speak. And she says, As I mentioned earlier, you all have been assigned to mission 021648, the Wild Sea. Not too much is known about this plane. Let's see. Pull up your Oracle's RSA, if you would be so kind. Uh, upon you saying that, I want to know which one of you gestures to pull up the oracle. Like, who's the person in charge? Lumira? Probably Lumira. Yeah, okay, cool. Yep. So Lumira, you, like, make a flourish with your hand, and swirling into existence is your strike team's oracle. Uh, a, a small, maybe, like, slightly larger than an eight ball, uh, sized sphere of just swirling iridescent light. It, like, pulses, grows slightly big, slightly small, but always around that same size, and into existence. Drop a little snacky in there. <laughs> ball bearing. Yeah, uh, you fish some ball bearings. They're metallic uh, out of your pocket and you drop them into the swirling iridescence and they vanish inside with a kind of ding, ding, ding noise. Anyway, we're getting distracted as per usual with this strike team. Your mission will bring you to the realm formerly known as Oregnus, although it is now referred to as the Wild Sea. The Prime Oracle's RSA predicts a Class A Level 6 plane with a charted depth of 0. 0.000007 and a vibrancy of... Hmm. Green. That's all it says. Green. Sing blinks and kind of like scratches right underneath her horn on her forehead. That is not a very good charted depth at all. Have no strike teams been here before? That is not something that I can tell you given your classification level. Given the history that we have, very little is known about this realm. If there have been strike teams that have been here before, it has only been one or two, if at all. And some time ago at this point. Artemis pulls herself backward and gestures at the Oracle. Bring up the RSA, please. Uh, yes, sir. Oh, here I go. And the oracle swirls and pulses and like projects out like a massive holographic image of the surface of the wild sea. Uh, and you all see a plane of pure green growth. It's overrun with this thick vegetation, actually. And this snapshot from the oracle's RSA or remote scrying array is taken from afar like from deep space or something like that, with very few details. It honestly just looks like a smudge of iridescence. Well, it certainly is green. The vibrancy is accurate. Where's the ground? That is for you to find out and report back to us, Agent Sayer. Yes, sir. Like I mentioned, there is very, very little known about this plane. The distress calls that have come in numbered in the billions, and those have been processed and collated by the Prime oracle. This proliferation of prayers began about 300 years ago and have been collected since then. 300 years is a long time. Are you sure that those calls still need answering? Like I mentioned to Agent Sayer, that is for you to find out. Excuse me. Agent Lumira? So I have a couple of questions. Number one, we know that there's no, not much known about with the the wild sea and she like goes back and like looks briefly through her notes 021648 um however is there any type of information on how this would even be classified as a level six if we have not that much information well the plane itself is gigantic the worlds that you've all been to are much smaller than this one they have far less general land mass this is a level six plane, class A. A. To be frank with you, it's giant. I mean, Zhu Guang was only a level four. That's what I was just thinking. Exactly. Correct. The four of you haven't yet gone to a plane of this size. You'll be on mission for quite some time. 
given the scope of this mission and it's and artemis looks tired she looks like she's given this spiel like several dozen times in the last 48 hours and she's getting a little tired of it your mission is to go onto this plane seek out survivors locate any help them when you can enact fate's will your oracle will update as you're on plane you may receive new mission objectives as you're in world you'll have to think on your feet so th- these mayday calls don't have that kind of detail this is not some go trim a bush and then come back no it's not oracle please read out the collation of prayers that we received approximately 300 years ago Yes, sir. This is a collation of some billion-plus prayers over the course of three centuries. So please stand by as I process these. Um, Oh, here we go. The roots emerge. The leaves have thorns. The trees explode from brackish soil. The green tide breaks our homes and wives. The earth wells gold with amber sap. To the mountains, to the peaks, to the sky where green can't reach, our home is gone, is gone, is gone. The verdancy consumes it all. Well, that's not ominous. Artemis looks like she wants to say something. Like she's peering at the oracle and folds these broad muscular arms across her chest again. Then she seems to think better of it and moves on. Zainan, for the first time in this meeting, who's been attentive and every time we get a mission brief, he is studying the maps and the details of everything that we can get, is looking down at the table. And his jaw is so clenched, you can see it flaring from the sides of his hat. It's a lot of, it's a lot of distress calls. That it is. It is quite a lot of distress calls. If I may offer some insight here, uh, this is a Class A planet, uh, which means that there is documented sapient life here, well, at the very least before the whole calamity struck of divergency. So if there are survivors, there's a good chance that maybe some of them are still there after three centuries. Does it always interrupt? Sometimes, sir, yes. Sometimes. We're working on it. Still young. Hmm. I'm a member of the team. Oracle, can you do me a favor? Yes, sir. Pull whatever information you can find that's available to my security level from the archives in relation to Wild Sea. Okay. If there's anything that we need or could be useful, I'd like to know. Uh, one second. I'm looking. Uh, Here you go. You have a total access to zero documents. Well, that clears up how unexplored this is. You're welcome. Thank you. We have our work cut out for ourselves. Yes, you do. Trust your gut. And that's pointed. And she stares at Zainan a little bit longer than the rest of the team. Stay on your toes and trust in her will. Your oracle will guide you from here on out. Yes, sir. I will be the best guide. I appreciate the information you did give, Artemis. We won't let you down. Good. How frequently should we check in on your progress? And? Every few days, if it's necessary. Please don't make me do more paperwork than I need to. (laughs) Understood, sir. Wouldn't want to make anything more difficult. You ready, Sing? You know me? I was quite literally made ready. Don't look so glum, everyone. I mean, that prophecy prayer thing was was a little ominous, but you know what this new Mayday protocol means, right? It means we have a lot of freedom, more freedom than ever before, to tackle this mission on our own terms, using our own skills and abilities to their fullest potential. Some might see this as a challenge, but Strike Team Nova, we're gonna see this as an opportunity. Right? (laughs) To rise above. Exactly. And maybe save a few people. Exactly. Do good. That's right. And we're gonna help. Well said, Agent Singh. Should we, uh, should we do the thing? 
And Singh puts her hand in the middle of a circle <laughs> between all of you. Lumera rolls her eyes, but does oblige. As Zynan is like standing to get situated and he always takes his hat off when he rises from the briefing table. He goes to hold his hand out and is holding his hat and then awkwardly just kind of looks at the thing, looks at the group of people's hands and then, <sighs> all right, and puts his off hand in. <laughs> there you go, pop, pop. <laughs> Thayer uh, slinks in, shoulder checks sing a little bit uh, on the other side and places his arm in. Oracle, you too. <laughs> oh, yes. And the oracle floats down and touches the very top. And then Singh looks over to you, Artemis. Oh, no. Uh, Han Artemis, you're a part of this as well, right? Come on. Singh, I don't think Artemis would. Artemis, you can come be with us mortals. I should not have let you all go to Earth. This is a great tradition. A great Earth tradition. Come on, if you put your hand on top, you can sandwich the oracle. I don't think that I'll be sandwiching anything. But Artemis sticks her hand in. <gasps> Don't forget, I am your patron saint. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, Nova on three? All right. Yep. All right. One, two, three. Nova! Trust in her will. And you're all gone. <laughs> 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 exactly. Uh, and I think on a beam of light, shooting up and wrapping you all away from trans, zapping you into a brand new location, we're going to cut to break. Transplaner RPG is supported by our incredible Patreon precepts. Folks pledge to our highest tier on Patreon. A massive thank you to Charles, Cora Eckert, Brooke Bright. River, Chiacres, Lex Slater, Scruffesis, Hat, Alex, Mark J, Lyle and Peanut, Spencer, Brooke in Seattle, Aria, Derek Davidson, and Phil. Pledge to our Patreon today for as little as $3 a month to unlock exclusive news, character sheets, GM notes, and even the chance for your tabletop OC to cameo in our show. This episode of Transplaner RPG was edited by C. Thomas. Our original intro theme music is by Jonathan Charles. Until next time, Transplay Nerds! <laughs>